Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of John. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day.
Easier said than done. Can only accomplish that by the Spirit's power. We can't trust Him with our own power. We, we trust by what we see. He tells us to trust Him by faith. How's everybody doing tonight? Okay? It's good to see everybody on a Wednesday evening, halfway point. It's always good. I like the way we have it set up. We have the Monday and the Wednesday. Actually, all the way to Saturdays, kind of a long ways off to get back into it. So easy to drift from this. The world just comes and tries to grab us all the time. All right, let's go to John chapter 10 over there. Look at the verse. She's got three. Okay. I'm going to go back one. Oh, go, go right to one. Good scripture here. going to take a few more than two verses to explain this one. So we're going to have to... <laughs> the usual. The usual. Keep it in its context and grab something off it. Alright, the Holy Spirit is going to take over, so try to just stay focused. The devil's going to try to distract you, as always, when we're learning about him. The thief's going to try to come and steal what God's trying to make us learn. All right, look at verse 1. The good shepherd and his sheep. John chapter 10, verse 1. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. That's a hard thing to get to know his voice, because we have to understand even Satan comes as an angel of light. So we have to know what voice we're listening to, and the voice of God is revealed in his word. Not through some voice that we hear in our minds, because our mind to be led. Satan is always trying to steal the voice of God. Even with something good. So we have to understand by scripture is God's voice. Now look what it says. They know his voice. What do we have to do? We have to learn the voice of God. We already know the voice of the devil because we've been following it for a long time. So we have to learn to know God's voice and it's different than Satan's. Can I get an amen for that? Different. They won't follow a stranger they will run from him because they don't know his voice. So the more you get to know God's voice, the more Satan's voice becomes stranger. That's what it's trying to say. You hear the voice of God over the voice of Satan that tries to control us. Amen? That's what he's talking about here. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration... Oh wait, verse 5. They won't follow a stranger, they'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Verse 6. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. And a lot of Christians don't. So he explained to them, he says it right here. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. So it's telling us who the gate is. Jesus. We're the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. He keeps using I am. Well, even John, he uses I am I don't know how many times. 
those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. Verse 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So God's purpose for you is to give you a rich and satisfying life in Christ, not in the flesh. Amen? We have to understand that. Listen now. Now look what it says in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money. And doesn't really care about the sheep. You see a lot of people, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors that end up taking off. Oh, I'm moving to so-and-so. And leave the flock like nothing. Then you know they never belong. You can't, listen, when God sends you, listen, and when he says, I want to go back here, it says, a good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Here's the problem with Christianity. When God saves us, he saves us so we can help build his kingdom. So in order to help build his kingdom, guess what? The problem is we got to stop building ours. That's the problem what people are not willing to do, to stop building their kingdom and say, all right, I'm going to say no to my kingdom, what I was doing and what my purpose in life was, and now I'm going to start to build God's kingdom and stop building mine. But people want both. They want to build my kingdom. Answer, you can't do both. So God's, that's why many are called and few are chosen. The people that are chosen has a higher call than the regular people. They say, I'm choosing you to build my kingdom, so you have to stop building yours. If you don't stop building yours, I can't use you to build mine. You can't have both. And that's what he's calling. I know I had to give up a lot of things to start serving God. Everything that my plans were, building the best home, making sure everything was remodeled, everything had to be good, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and all this. He said, no, God said, stop. That's not your kingdom. Now you're going to build my kingdom. Your kingdom's in heaven, not down here. So now I start building that kingdom and starting to build his kingdom, but I have to sacrifice what I would want for what he would want. That's why he saves us. And that's why some ministries like this one is a, we're chosen to do this and we have to like stop building our kingdom. And that's, a, that's a choice we have to make. We don't have to, but in order to have joy and get a rich and satisfying life, you can't do both. You'll be miserable because it's too, it's too taxing. All right, I'm going to do this. Oh, I got to hurry up and run and go to church and do this. Oh, oh yeah, but I got to get home and I got to do this. You can't do both. You'll burn out. So that's why he calls and say, stop. Don't worry. You seek this first and everything else will fall into place. What do Christians do? Both. That's why they get burnt out. You go home. I got to get all this done. Oh, I'm so behind. No, you're not behind. You're actually advancing the kingdom of God. You are ahead. The only thing that is left behind is what the problem was to begin with. You trying to make a status down here. Instead of building a kingdom for him up there, you got chosen to get out of that. And that's the problem a lot of Christians have to make that choice. Say, oh, I gotta stop, I gotta stop doing that. I gotta live for him now and build his kingdom. And that is the ultimate sacrifice. 
to become obedient like Jesus did unto death. Amen? So that's what he's talking about. But most Christians want what? Both. When I get home, I still want all this. But when I come to church, I'm here. But church is here and home is here. But when I go home, I got to build my kingdom. But when I come to church, I got to build his. No, you got to build this kingdom when you leave here too. See, that's the problem. Crucifying the flesh and saying, it doesn't really matter if my grass is this high and there's dandelions or if, it's, if there's more weeds than grass. Which, I look in my yard and no matter what I do, my... I don't care. I spent money with the police and the, and the grass still, there's weeds everywhere still. It doesn't matter. So the more I try to keep up with that, the more aggravated I get. But the more I keep up with God, the less aggravated I get with that. So who cares about green grass? Oh, my life's going to be so much better if the grass is green. <laughs> no, when the grass gets green, here comes the dogs and everything else to do all things all over it and make it yellow again. So God doesn't give us a rich and satisfying life down here. So you end up with miserable Christianity. Oh, I'm burnt out. We're burnt out because we're trying to do both. No, you know you have to you have responsibilities. You know you can't let everything go because then everything's going to fall in shambles and you end up with none. You know you've got to balance it out. But that isn't first anymore. That comes last. He comes first. See, that's the difference of being called... Few are called, many are called, but few are chosen. When he chooses you, it's a higher call. And then you have to say, no. You know what? I'm stopping. It's all about him now. And building his king. Then, when people really get that, is when they really find their true joy. Knowing why they were created. Other than that, you can't have both. You can't serve two masters, he said. You can't. We try. I get an amen for that. So we understand that. I understand that. I say, you know what? I ain't going to be, I ain't trying for first place anymore. My first place, my first, he's my first place. He's the beginning and the end. I'm going to finish good if I stay with him. I'm going to finish last if I stay with me. Once, it takes a while to get that concept though. And it takes a while to like find that balance. Does anybody know what I'm talking about with that balance? You don't want to, you know, you don't, you want to spend time with God, but there's so much to do here. And then at the end of the time, oh, I spent 15 minutes with God and 15 hours with me doing my thing. And I struggled with 15 minutes listening to the daily walk. Get it? That's how you know. If you put him first, everything else will fall into place, but you got to put him first. That's a struggle. And that's what he's fighting for. And that's what our salvation is all about. All right, let's go to John now. John chapter 14. We're going to finish in this chapter a couple of really key verses that I can't just overlook. That I didn't get to expand on last week. And I'm definitely going to expand on them now. How about an amen for that one? We, you know, this is, you know, truth is truth. You know, when you, when, you, when you speak the truth because you love people, you tell them the truth because you love them. Not because you want to prove them wrong. It's a whole different motive. It has to be delivered right. All right, let's go to um, verse 21.
And we're going to come down and I'm going to expand on this. And we're going to move on to chapter 15, which is an awesome chapter. In John, John, the book of John is awesome. It really is. It says in verse 21, Those who accept my commandments, first you have to accept them, that God has them, right? Then the next step to that is obeying them. Are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So we understand when we accept God, His ways, and obey it, is when Jesus reveals more and more of Himself to us. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name said to Him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not the world at large? Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make a home with each of them. So he wants to make a home in each one of us. That's why it's a personal relationship with him. He wants to come in and make residence with us. So if we're making residence with him, he's making home with us. So when you go home, he wants to make his home in you too. Not you just make your home for you. He wants to make a a home when you're home too, not just in church. Can I get an amen? We're not just with him for an hour. He wants to be with us all the time. Amen? Amen. And that's a fight. Come on, we got to admit it. How many times are we going to say, oh, all right, it's all about Jesus. But we're going to see how he fought the devil when the temptations came. And he didn't fight them with anything fleshly. He fought them with scriptures. Okay, we're going to explain this. Now it says, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Wow, that's a strong statement, isn't it? And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. He's talking to the apostles. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, and he makes a statement, he said, he will. See it? The Holy Spirit is not something, it's a person. See, it's talking about the Trinity here. He will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. So the Holy Spirit is a person. So when the Holy Spirit resides with you, it's like a person teaching you. So you have to understand a spiritual thing. It's like he's right here. And he's talking to you just like the devil is. How many times does the devil talk to us in the daytime? We hear his voice, don't we? Because we know his voice. But we're learning to know the other voice. And the only way that voice is going to get stronger is through learning the scriptures. Now look what it says. I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. The peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So you can't get it anywhere else. See, as a believer, I don't care if you walk away from this. If you're a true believer, you can't get any peace out there. He'll come and he'll... He'll disrupt your whole life. So it says, don't be troubled or afraid. See, as we follow him, we get troubled and we get afraid. Say, am I really doing the right thing by following this? Because things are happening in my life that are painful. But if you read the scriptures in the Old Testament, those who follow Jesus suffered. Who followed God suffered the prophets. All the people that... Were, were keyed in to follow Jesus, weren't getting blessed. They were getting persecuted. So we have to understand this is the way it is. It's normal. 
How many of us get persecuted still? Because you're trying to follow a path of righteousness. So if you're not getting persecuted, you have to ask, am I following Jesus? Following the flesh, it won't get you any in any trouble. The devil loves that. Look what it says. So remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches, okay? He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be gone. What is he trying to say in verse 31? But I will do what the Father requires me so that the world know that. He says he has no power over me. The devil has no power over us anymore. We have to understand it. Do you believe it though? So you have to understand when it comes. What are you listening to? What voice are you going to follow? And we're going to find out what that voice was. Now just stick with me here now. Is everybody still with me? Say amen. Okay, thank you. That means yes, anyway. <laughs> this is some really important stuff to learn. We don't just read the Bible for nothing. We read and then we study the Bible. We study the Scriptures to see how we can use the Scriptures. We don't study them so we can become theologians. We study them so we can become like Christ. So we can use them for something. Not just read them and read them. Oh, I know what that meant. I know what that is. But not use any of it become smarter in intellectualism without smarter in walking in the spirit. He says, forget your intellect. That has to go. Your intellect will stop you from having a relationship with me because you'll always question and doubt my ways. How many already have that problem now? We question and doubt his ways now, right? This stubborn mind of ours. Including me. I gotta put that mind to the cross and get renewed. The heart he gives us, the mind has to get renewed, it says. Boy, and that's a challenge. We think we know it all already. You ever talk to somebody that thinks they know all the answers? It's so irritating to me. Even people in the world. They try to explain everything that's going on in the world. They explain this and that. And it's like, stop. You don't know anything. You really don't know anything. You're just pretending that you're smart. You're just showing off that you're smart down here. But really, you're stupid. <laughs> See, if you think you're smart by this world standard, you have to become a fool if you want to get to know me. So I'd rather hear somebody say, boy, I don't know anything about that. That's good. But I know a lot about Jesus. Because I started studying his will, not mine. We're stubborn, aren't we? By nature. Okay. Let's go to. Um, in verse in 17. The following chapters teach the truths about the Holy Spirit. Okay. He will never leave us. It says. In verse 16. The world at large cannot receive him. In verse 17. He lives with us. And in us. And in verse 17. He teaches us. In verse 26, he reminds us of Jesus' words. 
He convicts us of sin, shows us God's righteousness, and announcing God's judgment on evil, like it said in verse 16, 8. He guides us into truth and gives insight to future events. See, the Holy Spirit, it says, you'll know the seasons as they come. Paul said uh, to Timothy that the end times are going to be very difficult times. People are only going to love themselves and they're going to be disobedient to their parents and be in, um, very resentful and proud. And you look at it now say, it's definitely like that now. So you don't know. It, it seems like it's getting closer. People take pride in their accomplishments, even Christians. And they keep trying to better themselves down here. You see, you can't better yourself down here and better yourself over here. It doesn't work. When you start saying, you know what, it really doesn't matter what my next door neighbor thinks about my grass. It really doesn't matter that I have this big mansion down here that looks perfect. So everybody sees, everybody measures their success by their materials instead of their, their success by their, by their faith. I'm successful because I know Jesus better than I know that now. That's what's making me successful. I'm giving, I'm letting all that go because it means nothing. It means nothing and it's not coming with me. I can build my kingdom down here, but guess what? When I leave, it's staying. And what I do for Christ now is coming with me. One life to live will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Whatever you do for yourself, even as Christians, gets burned up. Remember? Oh, I got to rest. I got to take care of myself. I got to take care of me. I did my duty for God, but now it's my turn. It's never our turn as a believer. Never. Never. Stubborn, aren't we? I went to church. This is what religion does. I went to church this week. I read my Bible. I read the daily walk. Now it's my, my time. He says, no. What I taught you with that time, in that time, is now time to use it. It's all his time. Because we can't bring it with us. Now look what it says. Let me just tell you something here. Alright. He convicts the world of sin. He shows us God's righteousness, announcing God's judgment on evil. In 16.8, he guides us into truth and gives insight to future events. In verse 13, he brings glory to Christ, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been active among people from the beginning of time. But after Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, he came to live in all believers. Okay? Back in the Old Testament, he wasn't living in all people. He had to be asked for, and he could be lost. You remember? He went into the prophets. They had to tell the people they didn't have the Spirit in them. They had to go to the prophets. Now, many people are unaware of the Holy Spirit's activities. They really are. Okay? But to those who hear Christ's words and understand the Spirit's power, the Spirit gives a whole new way to look at life. When Jesus said, I will come to you, he meant it, okay? Although Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to live in believers, and to have the Holy Spirit is to have Jesus himself. Amen for that. The Holy Spirit is Jesus. You have it. Okay, now, in verse 19 to 21, sometimes people wish they knew the future so they could prepare for it. God has chosen not to give us this knowledge. You see people all the time saying, oh yeah, 2033, that's going to be the last days. Everybody's looking for what's going to happen in the future. 
God chooses not to give that to us, then it wouldn't be a walk of faith anymore. He knows the end, the beginning to the end. We don't. We have to trust Him to the end. We don't know what's going to happen. He alone knows what will happen, but He tells us we all need to know and prepare for the future. That's why we're growing in grace and knowledge, right? To become like Him. When we live by His standards, He will not leave us. He will come to us. He will be in us. And He will show Himself to us. When we live by whose standards? His standards. You wonder, I can't hear God. I don't know what he wants for my life. I don't know what my plan is. Well, are you living by his standards so he can reveal that to you? He has to what? He's making utensils out of us. He's going to clean up the wreckage. He's going to get rid of that so he can reveal himself to you and what your purpose is. If you're not living by his standards, then he can't do that. You're living by your standards. So he can't reveal himself to you. A lot of people have, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what's going on. What is it? Because you're not living by his standards. Something that Christians miss. That are seeking him. They're not living by his standards. Can I get an amen for that? His standards are a lot different than ours, aren't they? He will not leave us. He'll come to us. He'll be in us. God knows what will happen. And because he will be with us through it all, we need not fear. How many times in the Bible does it say, fear not? That's the problem that believers have fear when something happens to us that's life-threatening or catastrophic. We have nothing to fear. He said he's with us. We need not fear. We're going to go through adverse times. The Bible tells us. We don't have to know the future to have faith in God. Amen? We have to have faith in God to be secure about our future. Get it? Our faith is what makes us secure in our future. So no matter what happens, it's a win-win. All right. Are you with me so far? In verse 21, Jesus said that his followers show their love for him by obeying him. Love is more than lovely words. It is commitment and conduct. If you love Christ, then prove it by obeying what he says in his word. What does it say? Prove it by living an honorable life. Remember Paul said that in Philippians. Because the disciples were still expecting Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom and overthrow Rome, they found it hard to understand why he did not tell the world at large that he was the Messiah. Okay? Now, in verse 27, the end result of the Holy Spirit's work, bless you, in our lives is deep and lasting peace. Okay? Unlike worldly peace, which is usually defined as the absence of conduct. Remember, see, Jesus said, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. A gift that the world cannot give you. Or they're not looking for it. This peace is confident assurance in any circumstance. With Christ's peace, we have no need to fear the present or the future. Sin, fear, uncertainty, doubt, and numerous other forces are the things that are at war within us. Can I get an amen for that? Let's go quickly to Romans 7. Let's prove that. i got to take us here because this is exactly what Jesus was saying. And Paul, Paul hit it right on the head in verse 21 of Romans 7. Think about what I just said now. Sin, fear, uncertainty. Think about these things I'm saying now. Doubt and numerous other forces. These are spiritual forces. The spirit of fear, the spirit of uncertainty, the spirit of doubt, right? The sin is the devil and numerous other forces. There's so many forces that distract us from God. 
And they're at war within us. How many of us understand that? It's at war with us. Let's go quickly. Romans 7, look at verse 21. Paul said it so clear that I love this scripture because this eases my heart. It's walking with the Lord, even though I still have. And who can honestly sit here and say they don't have uncertainty here? Walking with the Lord, fear and doubt. Still. When things don't happen the way we think they should. Look what it says in verse 21. He discovered something about his life. He says, I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Now here it is right here in verse 22. I love God's law or God's word with all my heart. All of us love God's word, right? We love reading the Bible. We love it. But look what it says. But there is another power or there is another law within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Now, look what it says. What does that do? Oh, what a miserable person I am. Do I have to expand on how Christians are miserable? Because they don't understand the principle that we still sin and it makes us miserable. Look what it says. What my look what it oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life? Listen, from this life that is dominated by sin and death. So he's saying, after all these years of walking with the Lord, his life was still being dominated by sin and death. Now, that can make me relax. I understand. Paul, who was walking with the Lord, who had a revelation, saw heaven, was still filled with this sinful life in him that was still taking over him at times. Again, amen? Listen, all of us, that's what makes us miserable. We think that because we're doing this, it says, what will free me from this? Look what it says. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he says, so you see how it is? Listen to this. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Once you can understand that you're a slave to sin, you have to understand because you have a sin nature, that's what makes us not perfect down here. We have to understand we're never going to be perfect down here. And Christians fight for perfection. How many still do? Why did I do that today? What happened? You did it because you have a sin nature that's controlling you still. There's another force still within me. Can I get an amen? Christians have to understand this because this is what happens. They walk away from God because they still fail. We have to understand we're going to still fail, but we need not fear our sins and all that stuff has been taken care of. That he's going to empower us to stop. We just have to give him time and let the, let the process take hold. Oh, I've been a Christian for a long time. Yeah, so you've been a sinner for a long time too. <laughs> Remember that. You were walking with sin longer, way more than you were walking with him. So it still controls you. But we have to understand we can't let that stop us from following him and still picking up the Bible and keep reading it because that's what sets us free. Who will free me? Jesus Christ. The word will free me. And I'm going to show you how. Jesus said, okay, listen now. The peace of God moves into our hearts 
in lives to restrain these hostile forces and offer comfort in place of conflict. You see, the peace of God, the peace of knowing that I'm going to heaven. Jesus is, loves me unconditionally. That's not stopping me. That's what comes at me. The, if you look the other way, you get in conflict with this. And when you get in conflict with the scriptures, then you create doubt. You see, you have to understand that you're never going to be perfect. Everybody's fighting. I don't know why I keep doing that. Then you still don't understand that you have a sin nature that's never going away in this body. If you, if you still question that, keep reading Romans 7. Say, look, Paul was following Jesus. He's seen, he's seen him. He's seen heaven. Nobody else has seen this. And he still had a sin nature that was taken over. Okay, Jesus says he will give us that peace if we are willing to accept it from him. See it? You can't get peace any other way. If your life is full of stress, how many of us are stressed out? Don't lie. Well, I'm going to give you an answer. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with Christ's peace. Where do we get Christ's peace? All right, let's just turn to Philippians 4, all right? This is, this is, like, I got to, I got to, this is, the Lord led me to this, and I got to preach it. And, and we're going to have to try to teach you how to use these scriptures when that happens. You see, when you're all stressed out and everything, you have to understand that there's only one thing that will take that away, and that's Jesus, and that's scripture. Can I get an amen for that? It's only scripture. But the scripture has to be going into your mind. When the stress is coming, you have to remind, don't worry about anything. Look at verse 6. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. Then He says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guide your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. People don't say, how do you live in Christ Jesus? By you live by the scriptures or the principles of the Bible instead of the principles of the forces that are telling you not to, stressing you out. You have to say no. His peace will guard us knowing that we're saved. Heaven's our home. We need not be stressed out. This is only temporary. See, it's the scriptures that ease us. But if we don't use them, it won't work. It's not some mysticism. How do I know that? Because Jesus, you, Jesus was the ultimate example of that, wasn't he? All right, let me just keep going here now. Is everybody getting what I'm trying to say? Yes. All right. Thank you, because this is, I want you to get this. Okay? As God the Son, Jesus willingly submits to God the Father. On earth, Jesus also submitted to many of the physical limitations of his humanity. Jesus said, even though he was God, as a matter of fact, now that you're in Philippians, go to chapter 2. I want to show you something. Jesus proved his humanity in Philippians 2, verse 6. Look what he said. Though he was God, or being in the form of God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to. He never got a God complex. What do Christians do when they get saved? They get a God complex. That's not why he saved us. 
He saved us to become like Jesus, not a God complex. You get Christians looking down on other people and thinking that they know more than everybody else. That's not why he did it. We don't get a God complex. Jesus is the example. He said he was God himself. Look what he did. Being the former God, he did not think of that of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, look what he did instead. He gave up his divine privileges. Look, you have divine privileges right now, right? But he tells us to give them up down here. Look, he emptied himself, it says. He took the humble position of a slave. See it? Or the form of a slave as was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So he was God, just like we're down here. Here's the problem with Christians. I'm down here. I don't have to take any of that stuff. Jesus, look what he said. He humbled himself in, in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. God says, I don't care what's going on in your life. I put it there. You humble yourself and you don't retaliate. You don't think that you're anything special. Jesus didn't do nothing but humble himself and he died on the cross as a criminal when he was innocent. So how many times you're going to get treated like a criminal down here when you're innocent and your only defense is your advocate in heaven, God, not your mouth. That's the problem. I'm a Christian. I could stand for what's right down here. No, no. He says keep your mouth shut. And let me tell you something. He humbled himself. You need to humble yourself in order to get God reveal himself to you. Whenever you don't, you become God. Get it? And guess who takes over? The God of this world. So you don't, you have divine privileges, but to become a servant or a slave to people down here. Oh, I'm getting taken advantage of. Look at Jesus. If he says you're supposed to be like him, he could took an advantage of all his life. And he was God. So what makes you think, if you're following him, that you're not going to get taken advantage of down here? That's the only way people are going to see Christ. When you take let get taken advantage of and never retaliate back but said, pay them back with a blessing. See, that's the only way they're going to see that Jesus is controlling you. Other than that, they're never going to see it. They're not going to see it because how many times you go to church or how many verses you know. They're going to see it by you being humble and not retaliating back when somebody attacks you and not having to defend yourself. Your, your advocate is your defendant, is your defense attorney. Leave it to him. Tell me that's not it. Tell me, tell me just by coming here makes that happen. Doesn't, does it? And Jesus is going to be the perfect example as I keep going here now. Just stay with me. You're going to learn something real valuable here if you let this take hold of your life. Okay? If. And don't think that you're something special because you come to church. You are something special. You're one of you're building God's kingdom by you stop building your kingdom. This is over here, and that's over here. And I don't like that, and I don't like that. That's all I hear is Christians complaining all the time. He's saying, do everything without complaining and arguing. Well, I've read my Bible six times. Boy, that really stopped it. Pride. There's nothing to do with it. Now listen. Alright, like I just said, although Satan, the ruler of this world, was unable to overpower Jesus, he still had the arrogance to try. 
Okay? Satan's power exists only because God allows him to act. You have to understand that. But because Jesus is sinless, Satan has no power over him. If we obey Jesus and align ourselves closely with God's purposes, Satan can have no power over us. You see what it's saying? I'm going to show you why. Now, he said, come let's be going, suggest in that chapters 15 and verse 17 may have been spoken and root of the Garden of Gethsemane. Another view is that Jesus was asking the disciples to get ready to leave the upper room, but they didn't actually do it until chapter 18 verse 1. But I really want to expand on how Jesus fought the devil. Go to Matthew chapter 4. The devil still tried. And Jesus gave us how to do it. Now I want you to understand that why we can't, why this doesn't happen for us. It says clearly what I'm trying to say to you that Although Satan is the rule of the world, he still has the arrogance to try after we get saved to get us back to where we were before. Right? To get us back. Satan can have no power over us. How? If we obey Jesus and align ourselves closely with God's purposes. Listen, you have to align yourself with his purposes, not yours. You see, whenever you're doing your purpose, the devil's always going to be on attack. He's saying when he went to the cross, he solved your sin problem. But if you're still sinning, that gives the Satan his power to come and take over again. He says if you're doing God's will and his purpose, Satan has no power over you. You see? Go to Matthew chapter 4. And let's... Jesus is the example. This is so important that we have to understand that if our sin nature is controlling us, then the power of the devil gets stronger than the power of God. Listen to what he said here. Then Jesus, verse 1, Matthew 4, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So, if you're in a wilderness place, guess who leads you there? The Spirit. To be tempted there by the devil. You really, I can honestly say, when I'm in the wilderness, I'm always getting tempted by the devil. And guess what? That's normal. It's normal. And people get all frustrated. I don't sense God. I'm getting tempted. The beep, up, up. Listen, this happens to me. As a matter of fact, it's happening to me right now as I preach it to you. But here's the antidote to that. Because when you get tempted and you fall into it, you have no power. Look what he says. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. You just imagine you going out and not eating for 40 days and 40 nights and then getting tempted by something. Now look what he says. He was hungry, right? The first thing the devil offered him was something to eat. Look what he says. During that time, the devil, right, or the tempter came and said to him, all right, so now, now somebody didn't physically come to him. The tempter came to his what? His mind. Listen now. He said, if you are the Son of God, if you are saved, this is, I'm going to use the principle right to us. If you are saved, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, 
the scriptures say that people do not live by bread alone. But you see how the devil twisted that scripture. Look what he said. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become... He says, why are you going to starve? If you're God, you could just make that into a stove of bread. But he knew that he was being obedient to the fathers. So God was the one who sent them in the wilderness. So he sent you in the wilderness to be obedient and trust him. Now look what he says. But Jesus said to him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but every word, can I say that again? Every word, Genesis to Revelation, every word, right, that comes from the mouth of God. And what was he quoting? Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. So he used what he remembered in the scriptures to counterattack the devil so he didn't fall into it. Do you know the scriptures enough not to do that? Even though you've been studying, coming and reading the Bible, have you studied enough to actually use that when the tempter comes? We're going to keep going. Then the devil, he didn't stop. Now, all right, Jesus won, right? Did the devil stop? You think he's going to stop with you after one victory? Listen now. Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem, and he, the highest point of the temple, and said, if you, again, he's questioning Jesus. He's even making Jesus have doubt. They say, if you are the son of God, like you say you are, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. The devil was quoting Psalm 91 verse 11 and 12 to him. He was fighting him with scripture. So if you're not understanding or know the scriptures good enough. The devil can tempt you with scripture to fall into sin. Not just going to some Bibles and going to church. Oh I know the Bible. So does the devil. And he knows how to use it to twist it. To get you to fall into sin. You hear it all the time. I hear. Jesus drank wine. Jesus did this. And Jesus did that. That was the devil tempting people to do something that's going to make them fall. That's what he does. Justifying it. See, it's in the scriptures. Jesus drank. So I can drink. This is what the devil does. He puts that into your head. And people run with it. But we know that that doesn't lead us into a relationship with Christ. It leads us to Satan. So then we know it's not from God, even though it was in the scripture. It was the devil twisting it. Can I get an amen for that? So if you're not well-hearsed in the Bible, and you're not rooted and grounded with people that are, you are going to fall and justify your sinful deeds. Oh, we're just weak. No, he says, if you follow me, I'll give you strength. But you have to use me to get out of that. No other way. Pride. Oh, I can handle this. I got to go minister. I can't be here to learn. Look what it says. Look at next. He said, Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Right? Deuteronomy 6.16, he counted with scripture. He said, he also says, 
You must not test him. I'm not, I'm, you know, he says it's okay to do it, but what's, what's drunk and what's not? I'm gonna, I'm gonna test it, see what, what over the limit is. Testing God. Just so I can do it. We know it's wrong. Nobody has to tell you that doing that doesn't lead to anything good. So Jesus didn't say, hey, let's, have, let's get drunk. We're going to heaven. Let's go party and feast. Now that's what the devil does to get us out of it. To deny ourselves. And not make others stumble. Look what it says. Now he says, the next, look at verse 8, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. What is he saying for us? You can have all this, he's saying. Material. Look what he's saying. Look what he says. The devil took him. He said, took him to the kingdoms of the world and their glory. A very, and then he said, I will give it all to you. He said, if you will kneel down and worship me. You see? So how could you say you're here and grabbing all the things of the world and saying you're over here with Christ? He says clearly you can't have that. He says, look what he says. If you kneel down, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. People down here, Serve God and themselves. And serving yourself is all the material things you can have down here. Getting it all now. Can I get an amen for that? Oh, it might be hard to say, but it's the truth. For the scriptures say, and where did he get that from? Deuteronomy 6.13. Look, you can go in Deuteronomy. That'll give you all the fighting power you need. That's what Jesus used. Look, scripture used Deuteronomy through the whole thing. He said, well, I'm going to go to Deuteronomy and learn it real well. Then the devil went away. And the angels came and took care of Jesus. Now, angels could be, a, they come in the form of men. We don't know. I mean, somebody came and took care of him after. But you understand that God led him into the wilderness. God let the devil tempt him. And God challenged him, just like he's going to do that with you. And that's actually a good thing. Because if he sees you worthy of that, he knows he's calling you to do something like Jesus, to become like him. It should be an honor that you have to go into that wilderness in the desert. Instead of a, 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 a wrong thing. I thought the wrong thing myself. But this is actually a blessing to go in the wilderness. Because God is, is training me to use me. As a tool against Satan. But if I follow Satan, I can't be used as a tool. I'm a fool. Because you know it as well as I do. When you follow the things of the world, where they lead you. And they don't lead us anywhere good. He says, it brings forth death. Sin brings forth death. So if you know if you're living this way, you can't have the power of Christ. People don't understand. You've got to say no and fight it with scripture when the lustful thought comes. Say, no, I'm going to worship God, not me. And him alone. I can't serve myself right now. No. I have the power not to. Right here. We're going to get tempted with food. 
right? People have problems with food. People have problems with lust. All the things he's talking about, materialism. And Jesus fought it with scripture, but the scripture has to come at the point of temptation. If you don't use it then, there's no way you're going to do it. You can't say, well, I went to church, I'm strong. No, we're still weak. We need the scripture as our defense, as our sword. Sword of the Spirit, which is who? The Word of God. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, 16, 13. Deuteronomy Psalm this, like that. And then you don't do it. You can't do it and say it and then do it. You're going to say, you have to say, no. The scriptures say, he who lives in me is stronger than he who lives in the world. I'm putting on all the armor right now and it's on. And then don't, if you do it, you took your armor off. Say, well, I'm saved by God's grace. Big deal. He can't use you to help build his kingdom. Because you're building your own kingdom, Satan's kingdom again. He called you about it. He freed you from sin. Sin is no longer your master. People don't understand the Bible. Sin is no longer your master. When it comes calling, you say, no, I have another call. The call of God. So I don't have to do it. But if you don't use it, it won't work. This is what we have to learn. We have to learn how to use this when that time when you want to do something wrong. Can I get an amen? We're going to have to close. But that's what we, we need the power of the verses of what we need to get this learned as our defense. The sword of the spirit. It's not if, it's when it comes. Who doesn't get tempted anymore? Come on. The closer you get to God, the more you get. Jesus was God himself. And look at all the temptations he had to bear. Yet he still not sinned. Why? Because he was obedient to the Father and he used the words of God to fight the words of the devil. You can't fight the God, you can't fight the words of the devil without knowing the words of God. You can have them, but you have to know them. People have God, but they don't know Him. That's why they keep falling into sin. You don't know God by just coming to church. You know God by putting this into practice. You get to really know Him when you say no. Say, wow, that wasn't me. I can't never say no to that. I can't say no to that extra thing I want to do. I can't say no to that extra thing I want to buy. I can't say no to that. But when I do, then I know it's Him. I used Him. Glory be to God. Preaching my brains out here tonight. <laughs> Sin is no longer your master. Romans 6. For you live under the freedom of God's grace. The freedom to use this when it comes. We are no longer slaves of sin. So and if you're still a slave of sin, you have to say, what am I, what am I, what's going on? What am I doing? Why am I still a slave to sin? Because I'm not using the power that was given to me and applying it when I want to sin. Not if, it's when. How many of us don't want to sin anymore? If we didn't want to sin, we wouldn't sin if it didn't do something make us feel better. You know when you have to say what you want to say somebody and you just have to get the words out? Even if it's in a... Uh, uh, people try to be nice about it, but they get their words in sideways by being nice, but throwing them at you anyway. Still getting them in with something sweet. 
Still have to say it though. Instead of keeping your mouth shut. We're not using God. We're using the flesh. And when you're looking at angles, how to get it in. <laughs> but still do it. Sanctified sarcasm. <laughs> well, who doesn't do that? I see it all the time with Christians. Okay, big amen for that, right? You see it happening right in church. Oh my goodness. Imagine doing it. If we, if we fall to it in church, just imagine how much we fall to it out there. When the, when the most power we got was in numbers with us together. All right, let's close there. When we, when we get together again, we'll pick up with John 15. Amen. I hope I gave you something to use. Deuteronomy. I'm going to do, do a study on Deuteronomy. As a matter of fact, it's coming. God's been writing on my heart for a long time. I'm going to have some more time to do it. It takes a lot of studying for that, that, that book. Because it reveals the whole Old Testament, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. And that's what Jesus used. If you look, Deuteronomy 6.13, Deuteronomy 6.16, Deuteronomy 8.3. Obviously, there it is. I need to get into Deuteronomy. Boy, I told him in the New Testament times. Jesus was too, but he used what? Deuteronomy. So simple to say, oh, I don't need to read that. Oh, yes, you do. Jesus knew the scriptures. So we can fight who? The tempter. I like what it says here, because it says the Satan, but he says the tempter. The tempter. He tempts us to do his will. All right. Brittany's going to come up and sing, and we're going to close. Thank you.